Hi. Um, it is a lovely rainy day right now, and you might be going, "Wow, this voice sounds a lot different than what I'm used to." Well, I'm Ha, and I am one of the new voices joining the Bundle of Hers podcast. So, just wanted to say hi to everyone and welcome to the second episode of Bundle of Hers. As I mentioned, I'm Ha. My pronouns are she, hers. I'm a third year medical student at the University of Utah School of Medicine. It's very nerve wracking to be speaking here, but I am so so excited because I have a very special guest with me for this episode, and I will let them introduce themselves. Thanks, Ha. So. Uh, my name is Xian Mao. I am also a third-year medical student, although I'm on the other side of the country in also rainy Maryland. I'm at Johns Hopkins University, and Han and I have been friends since the third grade. It's kind of wild to think that we've known each other for this long. Yeah, so like how I grew up in Salt Lake City, and、uh, we were in the same kind of. Small-ish private elementary school. Growing up, you came from Chicago, Illinois first, if I remember correctly, right, Shian? Yeah, I I am not Chicagoan at all, though.、Um, I was born in Chicago, lived in China for half a year, then lived in Minnesota for another year, and then、uh, made that drive、uh, down to Salt Lake City, where I was until I left for college. When I think about our friendship, thinking about how we Met each other in the third grade, and I think it was very funny how we all like fell into like our friendship because it was kind of well. Maybe you want to describe the situation a bit better, Shian.、Um, I think we were kind of a triumvirate of sorts. So you and our other friend already knew each other, and then my first day of school, I was waiting outside the classroom. I see you, and I'm like, oh my god, another Asian child. I must befriend this child. It's the Desire to like see someone similar and seeing you as like somebody safe, and I was like, okay, must befriend. And in the end, we became like a trio of the weird kids who all lived with their single moms and、um, come from immigrant backgrounds. It was weird because when I reflect on it, for a while as a little kid, I thought that our backgrounds were pretty much the norm because it was all that. I really knew being friends with you all, and we just had so many similar backgrounds. Similar, we just had the shared understanding with each other, and it took kind of a few years. I might also have just been a bit not the most observant child in the world, but it took a few years for me to realize that no, like our experiences are very different comparatively to maybe the majority of the country. And I guess that then comes into why I wanted to have you here today, Shian, in this like first episode. That's part of the introduction to the new cast members of the bundle of hers, and also part of a continuation of the identity series that Margot, Harji, Lean, and Bushra had done when they were about to graduate from medical school. And the reason why is that she and I feel like we have gone through like the same journey together for a really long time. We went to the same elementary school as we've established. We then went to the same middle school, the same high school. Flew across the country to the northeast to do 
our undergrad education, took two gap years to do research and to also figure out what we really wanted to do with medicine. And then now we're both in medical school going about our clinical rotations. And it really means a lot to me that you've been the one that I've been able to like have this similar journey together with. But another thing that I think a lot about is even though our journeys look so similar on paper, we're so vastly different. And I feel like you help me like grow a lot and you help me like understand myself a lot based on like how your journey has been. The topic that I really want to talk about, I think about it as one word and it's called expression. And the reason why I've chosen the topic of expression is because I feel that especially like as Asian Americans growing up in Salt Lake City, I feel that sometimes I get, we get stereotyped into a group a lot. There's a lot of like, we all look the same. We all have the same interests. We all follow the same rules and beliefs and all of that. And in a way, I feel like becoming an Asian American in medicine, I sometimes fall into that stereotype of what a lot of people believe we are. But I think that even if we're very similar on paper, how we express ourselves can be so vastly different and nuanced. And how we respond to our situations brings in so much depth and breadth to our diaspora. Um, I, I do agree that initially, it seems like, you know, being Asian American, going into medicine, there's this kind of idea that there's already a set path, or that whenever I say, oh, I'm a first generation of Asian American in medical school, there's already kind of a stereotype, or there's already a set narrative of like, oh, your parents wanted you to be a doctor. And oh, congratulations, you're doing it. You must have like been a nerd and a, a good Asian American kid in high school. And you made your parents proud and honor their legacy, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Whereas I think it is hard because then it's hard to escape from that breath. And I think that one thing that I really dislike about this narrative is that it's all wrapped up in the idea of personal or like familial success and more of like being a doctor is kind of the end goal of the quote unquote American dream. Whereas I think for me and I think for the both of us, when we've talked about, you know, why we personally want to go into medicine, it does not take into account the healing aspect and the ways in which um, being a physician can help other people and also address social issues. I completely agree with that. It is weird because in a way, I do feel that pressure coming from a single parent household and being an only child too. I recognize that at the end of the day, I am the one who is going to be able to care for my mom in her old age. And I am the one who has to honor a lot of the sacrifices that she had to make deciding to come here to America and all of the issues that she had to like go through both as a child growing up during the Vietnam War and getting to the point where she ended up here. I do feel that pressure, but it's a very different pressure than what a lot of people think it is. I sometimes feel like a lot of people think it's kind of like the glory, like the bragging rights. I It's complicated for me. I do recognize that it's because I do 
have a certain level of privilege in my background. Since my mom is also in the medical field, um, I've had more exposure to medicine and people in medicine. It is really complicated. And at least for me, what's important is having the ability to care for my family when they grow old, to have that kind of financial stability. But then for me, the issue of being a f the first generation and also an only child, it comes to an idea that there were so many sacrifices that were made on the part of my mom and so many things that she had to endure and had to pay for me to get the best chance that I could. What's expected then is that I am a grateful for her efforts and that I repay her back. What's hard though is when I am so grateful for what she has done, but then my dreams of success and my dreams of what I think you know, going into medicine and being a successful doctor are kind of different than what she expects. Yeah, I think a lot of times, and it's not just even, you know, my mom, it's the rest of my extended family, um, because I am the first in like my whole family to go into medicine. When my family thinks about me like being a doctor, they want me to have a good livelihood and they want me to have all the information available to answer any of their medical questions, which is impossible to do. Um, and we are slowly working on getting them to understand that. And then the other thing is they just want me to be lay low and to just do my job and get that livelihood and get that stable like life and live that American dream that they sacrificed everything for and be that poster child for the American dream. But I think we get into a lot of conflicts because when I think about, yeah, I want to do that clinical care, but that clinical care is so intertwined with all these social issues. And it makes me really angry and it makes me want to sometimes like raise hell and bring up the concerns and kind of bring up more conflicts and not lay low in the way that they want me to. And I think that's when it gets really, really hard because I don't think that's what they imagined I would be as a doctor. And I understand why they get scared about it because at least for my family, you know, growing up after the Vietnam War, laying low was a way of like protection. And then going to here in the US where it's so unfamiliar and they felt like a lot of times they were never going to be a part of the US, like they could be on paper an American citizen, but never really belong. Laying low has always been safety for them. And so that's kind of what they were hoping for me. And I'm not doing that sometimes. And I think it scares them a lot. Um, my parents have a kind of a similar background. My mom grew up in the um, communist revolution of China. And um, she wasn't at the protest at uh, Tiananmen Square, but she was there for the aftermath. And I think that's really affected her in, you know, thinking about what are the consequences of being, you know, an active agitator and being, you know, politically active and, and calling for revolution and change. I, I definitely agree that there's this idea that, you know, you stay as 
far away from political involvement as possible or you know you try to be apolitical my mom's definitely whenever i try and like talk about social issues has definitely like said the whole there's both sides to every argument listen to both sides it's also very difficult um as you know coming from a first generation immigrant families at least in my experience to really talk about solidarity and the shared experiences and uh, the shared oppressions that um, POC should be working together to, you know, fight against when being labeled a person of color or a minority are new experiences for her. Yeah. Similarly, like with my family, it's also, I think, sometimes with the model minority myth, my family likes to kind of fall back on that. Even though like we on paper look like we're following the American dream and that on paper we seem to be doing a lot better, it is like all interconnected and it all creates oppression. And then I think another thing about them, and I don't know that comes up with you too, is a lot of times when I bring up concerns about social justice, we bring up a lot of ideas of Buddhism with karma for the listeners who don't know, with Buddhism, uh, one of the big like concepts is that we are all reincarnated beings and the reincarnation where we end up, where we're reincarnated. So our social standing, even our race, and all of that is a result of karma from past lives. And so a lot of the belief about it is that we like have this suffering as a part of like our human existence and this suffering is due to like karma from past lives and the way to move forward is to just really let go of all of those like things that like make us angry and really like hold us back and for me it's something that has always been really hard for me to reconcile as someone who was raised pretty devoutly buddhist and i still associate and feel that i am still very devoutly buddhist is it's hard for me because a lot of what drives me into medicine and keeps me in medicine when the going gets really tough is this like rage in a way and also a lot of this like motivation and passion against injustices. And I'm typically told like, oh, you just need to like let it go. You just need to accept it as what it is because this is our reality and this is a part of the karma and everything of human existence. I think that first on how anger is demonized and kind of used as a gotcha of, oh, you're just saying these things because you're angry and you should calm down has been used, you know, historically to silence uh, women, to silence people of color. There's a lot of value, I think, in anger when used right. But it's a hard emotion to kind of cultivate, though, because it's also a very exhausting emotion. And I think that's where Buddhism is useful for me, at least, is when I need peace. It's a good way of feeling small in the good way that there's things larger than myself that will continue on and to know that my existence is only, you know, one small piece in it. But it is then hard when applying that to um, social justice and talking about important issues that have also gone on for generations and need generations to heal. 
it's hard to then say, well, this is all out of my hands. I was born into this um, body with this background. You know, I guess I'll just wait till the next cycle. I think that is really hard when the ideas of like karma and peace are almost weaponized to silence others and their grievances for wanting things to be better in their lifetime and the life that they are currently living. This makes me also think about it's kind of hard to have this idea going forward into medicine when a lot of times what we're trying to do is improve not only just somebody's longevity or general well-being, but also make sure that they are able to do things that they enjoy. I'm curious to know what you think. It's so peculiar. I do think there's a piece that I do get a lot of times from being able to kind of let go, especially since I air to be a pretty anxious person. But it's hard because I feel that sometimes it's so disconnected with reality of what a lot of people are experiencing. And it's kind of weird for me trying to navigate having that mindset that I was raised in as a Buddhist, being able to like disengage from that and recognize that it is not the reality, like that mindset is not the reality for a lot of my patients. And my big goal is to get patient-centered care and to empower my patients to live the lives that they live. And I don't talk about Buddhism with a lot of people because I think Buddhism lives in a lot of contradictions. One of the things I like about it is it is like a community religion um, and it sees us as all really like interconnected with each other. But it is also this religion that's very focused on your personal betterment. And I feel that when done right, it doesn't pass judgment onto other people and their decisions. And that's what I really love about it. But then that becomes like this weird conflict because I go like, well, I don't pass judgment into how people live their lives and what they choose as brings them joy. But also part of it, it says that we can't, we should live in like this zero sum area space. And that's not really what a lot of people's goals are. Like I'm currently in family medicine right now for my rotation. And a lot of our motivational interviewing is finding what makes people happy and what motivates them and using that to drive them to make changes for like their health. And so that's kind of where Buddhism is like a bit tricky for me. But I would love to hear your thoughts, Shian, about it with harm reduction, because I know you've thought about that a lot. For uh, those of you who are not familiar, harm reduction is the idea of meeting people where they are at. So this especially um, concerns high-risk behaviors uh, such as drug use um, and sexual practices uh, generally are the ones where you have the most um, harm reduction systems set up. So, uh, for example, needle exchange programs, providing free condoms, kind of the idea that we're never going to be able to fully eliminate, quote-unquote, you know, dangerous behaviors or, you know, behaviors that put people at risk for various um, preventable diseases. But what we can do is to lower that risk by making sure that when people choose to engage in these activities, that they are safe. So I think in a way, I, I think had you made, you use a great word that Buddhism is full of contradictions. A central tenant is charity and also being kind of non-judgmental in how we provide care, I think is very important. But then I think it's kind of dicey that when you kind of think of it as, okay, if everybody is Buddhist, then there's obviously, you know, it's a negative thing to be pursuing pleasures. When the Buddha meditated under the tree, the first tenet he realized was that the source 
of all suffering is desire. So then the pursuit of our various bodily desires produces more pain. So it's hard, I think, to balance those things with any religion. It can be useful for some people and not for others. And I know not to apply my own religion to other people's experiences. And I know that, you know, not everybody is Buddhist, not everybody, even if they are Buddhist, will interpret it the same way. I think that's a very like great way to sum it up. I think what you were saying with like religion and with being a Buddhist can really apply to like being Asian American or being a minority and all of that is that I think a lot of times people do like put people into groups and see like that people should perceive or like navigate the world in a certain way just because of the identities that they say that they possess. And I think that's a great reminder about how we should approach patients and like people in general is to recognize and appreciate their identities, but then also not infringe our assumptions, our belief sets onto people. And that's how we can like elevate and amplify voices. Um, going back to your theme of expression and the narratives that are forced upon us, you see within the model minority story is a lot of external pain and maybe the child protesting against all those pressures, but you don't see the child having any kind of identity or any kind of dreams or really aspirations outside of what's placed upon them. You know, one thing that is different is we also both wrote a lot of stories as little kids that, you know, that's something that connects us, but really you don't see in the model minority myth or, um, you know, you don't see the fact that we both got really into musicals and we saw Wicked together with seats at the very back of the theater. Um, I think it was eighth grade. Yes, it was still a magical experience. Yeah. I'm just going to say that. There's so much humanity in our shared experiences that just fade away when you only look at what we are on paper or what the model minority myth chooses to put down. And I think that there's a very similar feeling of isolation, being a member of the LGBT community, just feeling like the narratives that I am constantly hearing about my experiences, feeling like they don't apply, or feeling that like I don't exist or my experiences are non-existent, which is why I'm very glad that things are changing and we're hopefully getting um, a more diverse cohort of doctors and we're learning to use gender neutral language and to not make any assumptions. I had the pleasure of seeing an adorable one-year-old with two moms. We, we had um, one mom present and then another mom over the phone. I'm very glad that during that experience, I didn't make any assumptions on, you know, who the other partner was. This also wraps back to the fact that both of us grew up in a single parent household and how important it is to just not make any assumptions about what a family structure looks like. Something that I sometimes struggle with is that I do sometimes feel, especially as a story writer, like a person who really likes writing stories, I sometimes accidentally place myself into those very general narratives that people create for me and I kind of wear them 
like a very, very heavy backpack that I have to carry around with me. And sometimes it's hard for me to like think about, especially in medicine, where sometimes I am just running and just trying to get through like each day and not really having that space to like nourish that depth of myself that you're talking about with loving musicals or loving to like watch. Well, I don't really like watching what is it, those Furbies, those like long Furby things that you send me. But I just mean like just like enjoying my TikTok videos. Like sometimes I don't have that time to nourish it. And then I get caught in that narrative about who I'm supposed to, that very general narrative. And so for me, when I do nourish it by writing poetry or things like that, just banging out Phantom of the Opera on the piano or going on a nice run outside and just listening to K-pop. That's how I nourish myself and like find my expression for myself to like break away from all of those generalized narratives. And I would just, I'm curious, like, how do you express yourself? I can't believe you called me out on my Furbies. Yes, it's mostly a Tumblr trend of taking Furbies and longifying them into weird sausage bodies. I find them delightful. I have my own longified Furby. His name is Dubious Birdmeat. He is terrible and I love him. Uh, but the most valuable thing that kind of helped me figure out a way of nourishing myself versus just keeping on the uh, medical school treadmill was just the two years that I had off. And just, you know, realizing that this is work and this is play and all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> but I think it's just knowing that the time I spend taking care of myself and having fun is as important to me as a human being. You know, despite believing in reincarnation, I still only have this one lifetime, this one moment where my memories and my experiences are connected in this way. I've come to a place where I really value the fact that I am still alive and able to have these experiences. And I want to just continue having them, continue making connections, leaving things better than they were. One of the stories I hold on to, the starfish story. Do you know that one, Ha? No, I don't. So I think it's told in a lot of different ways, but it's just a short story about uh, low tide on a beach and there's just a bunch of starfish um, that are stranded and drying up in the sun and an old man comes across them as he's taking a walk and he's staring at all the starfish and feeling like ah oh, this is so sad look at how lives end um, he sees a little child just picking up starfish one by one and throwing them back in the water and he's like hey there, little kid, you know that there's nothing much you can do. You're not going to save all these starfish. What you do doesn't matter. And then the, the child just kind of smiles, picks up a starfish and throws it back in the water and says, well, it matter to that one. That's a really beautiful story. Also like thinking about like that connection and things like that. And that is a thing I also really like about Buddhism is just feeling that you're so intertwined with the rest of the world. And similarly, Asian, a lot of like our culture based on like ancestors and things like that, we're just so intertwined. That's one of my things for expression is community, making connections with people. And that's how I found a lot of healing. 
And so that's why it's exciting to be a part of this podcast and to get to share like people's voices and help uplift them. Uh, is there anything else that you want to end with before we like wrap up? I, I think maybe just looking into uh, motivational interviewing and Google long Furby and um, thank me for the nightmares. If you have always found Furbies creepy, I would negate that plug and say, do not Google long Furbies. Thank you very much. Um, but thank you like for actually, Chloe, I don't know how we usually close these things. Like, like subscribe, reblog, retweet. Yes, that's good. Um, with all of that, I would say thank you so much to our listeners for listening and for also giving me this chance to try this podcasting thing. Um, I hope that our conversation today about expression and about narratives and about family and Buddhism has been meaningful or gotten some thinking some thoughts running um, about your like own narratives and also about your like connections to the world and your communities. Um, I really much appreciate the chance to have the mic. Uh, so that is it for this episode this week. Tune in next week for the next part in the identity series and keep like on listening and supporting us on our Instagram, wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll see you next week thank you